Have you ever wanted something so bad that you were going to do just about anything and sacrifice just about anything, no matter how ridiculous or crazy it seemed at the time, in order to get what you wanted? Can you picture that moment in your life? Probably many of them, right? But I just want you to picture one. Uh, And I've got an illustration back when I was in high school where I did something pretty ridiculous to get something that I wanted. I want to bring you back into the mind of a 14 or 15 year old Jerry um, this morning. So here I was in the student ministry that I was part of in New Jersey had an all-nighter, like a lock-in type of thing of which those have all been banned from student ministry, thankfully, uh, never to be brought back again. But we used to have these all-nighters, right, where you'd start at 6 o'clock at night and end at 8 o'clock in the morning, and uh, we'd be locked in, or maybe we'd go out to do something, but mostly we'd be locked in. So I was at one of these events, and, uh, and I met a girl that I'd never seen before and was rather impressed and uh, began talking to her, hanging out, goofing around, whatever, and, uh, and things were going fairly well. So at our particular uh, event, we had like a sleep time at like 4 a.m. You know, I, like guys go your separate way and girls over here and then we'll reconvene at like 7 in the morning or whatever. And so uh, I got a couple hours of sleep and then I woke up in the morning and I was really excited to see this girl again and to get her phone number and to say our goodbyes and see if we could, you know, continue on in this little thing we had going on. So the only problem was... As I looked in my bag of belongings that I brought for said overnight, I realized a key component was missing, namely a toothbrush and toothpaste. So there I was. I remember it like it was yesterday. I'm in the church bathroom looking at myself in the mirror. Nobody else is in there. I'm like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Because I can't talk to her like this. Because I had the triple threat going on. I had like four hours of sleep breath going on, which is really bad. Morning breath by itself is bad, but like very little sleep plus morning equals disaster. So then I also had an onion bagel that I had just consumed in addition to some coffee. So I had kind of the trifecta going on that was causing evil uh, within a three you know, foot radius of my being. And I didn't want to go and get the number for that. So what was I going to do? And, you know, a cool high school guy. Now I'd be like, hey, Brian, can I borrow your toothbrush and toothpaste? I mean, I'll put some hot water on it. It'll be good, right? We're friends. But not back then. He's like, no. But not back then. I didn't even want to enter into that territory. So I'm looking in the mirror and I'm looking down and there it is. Liquid soap. So I'm like, how badly would I like to pursue this girl and something's got to be done. So, Right here, and I started working these pearly whites, every little crevice, I kid you not, um, and, uh, and, and went out, got her number, and uh, you know, I, I don't know how she responded to her mom when she picked her up, like, yeah, I met this guy, and he was like, kind of nice, but you know, he, I don't know, he just kind of smelled like Jergens liquid soap, I mean, and bubbles came out as he was, you know, I don't know. It didn't go anywhere, obviously, so obviously it didn't work out, but... We look at silly stories like that, like minor little things and sacrifices and we want something and so we're going to do something that seems a little ridiculous to get to that point and you've probably got a lot of those stories as well, maybe not as self-deprecating as mine, 
But we've all experienced that. And man, what we want to get into here this morning in the last several weeks, if you haven't been here, as we're talking about the idea of what it truly means to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, the sacrifices and the inconveniences that perhaps oftentimes get associated in with being a Christian uh, are, are just absolutely dwarfed by the reality of what it means to be a disciple. And what I mean is this, in our contemporary Christian culture, sometimes I fear that when we talk about the sacrifices that we make as believers in America, where it's so comfortable and where it's so cozy, you know, we're talking about, man, like, yeah, I get up every single Sunday and I, and I go to church and I hardly ever miss, like, maybe two or three times a month, but I go. And man, some of my hard-earned money, like, I give some of it to church and you know to those people and I mean I'm sacrificing that or man I serve for an hour and I change diapers for an hour and oh it's it's such a big sacrifice and we appreciate all those things but what I'm saying is the weight of the gospel and the weight of what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus is so incredible I mean, it's accessible, right? Jesus invited us into it. He invites everybody into it. So it's a very high calling, but it's a very hard calling. And sometimes I wonder for the average person, if they're just sitting there watching TV late at night and they see some televangelist talking about all the advantages and all the glories of being a Christian, I wonder if they get a skewed perspective. Because if you just pray this prayer that's on the screen, uh, God will provide for you wealth and health and you'll have peace in your life and you'll have joy and you'll have direction and you'll have happiness for all of your days. And I've been on the other side of that. You know, I've been a speaker at a camp. I've been a youth pastor for many years. I've been a pastor, and, and I understand that you want people to want God. You want people to want Christ. And you want people to make a decision. And I understand that sometimes we try and uh, talk about all the benefits of what is going to happen, and there certainly are benefits, but sometimes I also wonder if any of the disciples or people that were part of the early church in Acts, if they were to hear that kind of presentation, number one, they'd say, what is that, a television? I don't know what that is. But if they were to hear that kind of call, like, hey, you can be a child of God, you can be a follower of God, and here's all you have to do, and here's what God's going to provide, I wonder if they would just laugh in your face. Or if they would cry, because they would say that's not what's required to be a Christian. It's so much deeper than that, and it's so much greater than that. We've been talking about how when Jesus called his disciples, he told them, it's going to cost you everything. And man, in our church culture, sometimes uh, it seems like For some churches, hopefully this one wouldn't be named in that group, but for some churches, they want to do everything they can just to get bodies in here and just to see the numbers increase and increase, right? We're going to make things more and more comfortable and we'll play music that you like and we'll tell, you know, messages that are, that that will make you inspired and feel good and warm. And so just come back next week. Please just come back and bring a friend as well. But what's funny is when we look at Jesus as our Messiah and as our example, when he spoke and when more and more people started to come, 
It's almost as if Jesus intentionally said things so hard and so confusing and so controversial that it's almost like he was saying, no, this is too big, this is too many. Uh, you, You can't possibly understand what it means to be a follower of me. Are you sure you want this? Are you sure? Because you see that hill right up there, you better be ready because I'm going to be headed up to that hill and I'm going to die. And Do you want this? He used incredible illustrations when talking about what it means to be a part of his um, family. He said, hey, consider the cost of building a tower. Because you don't want to start out and say, sure, I'll do that and get rolling. And then all of a sudden you run out of money and you run out of energy and you run out of momentum and it's half built and people are going to make a mockery out of you. This takes time and this takes effort and this takes resources. Are you sure you want this? He used another illustration in the Gospels where he said, what, which of you, if you were a king and you had 10,000 people, would not carefully consider before you go up in a war against another king who's got 20,000 people? He used a motif of war and fighting and sacrifice, especially if you're a king. These are your people, the ones who you love. Are you really going to go into battle? I mean, think about it. We got, a, we got a good crew here. What if there's another church across town that maybe has twice the amount of people that are in this service? Would we go and would we fight them and I could hand out swords and, uh, and stuff to everybody and what do you think? Could we do it? I'm not even really sure where I'm headed with that. Like, is he calling for us to fight other churches? But you know what I'm saying? This is the motif that Jesus used. I fear sometimes that we've almost made this a little bit like a timeshare demonstration (laughs) to be a Christian, right? You've been involved in those. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, you know, come down. We'll, We'll provide breakfast for you. We'll pay for breakfast, all you can eat, all you want. Please just sit here and just listen to this pitch. And then I'll walk you around and I'll show you. This could be your room. This could be your view. Look at the ocean right here and look at the mountains right here. And all you have to do is this. And you know what? You don't even have to pay for everything right now. Just give us a little bit. Deposit one, you know? And yet, so some big demonstration, like, oh, just step on in. This is what you're going to get. And then imagine if you like, all right, that sounds good. That sounds good. Yep. Okay, good. Want it. Sign on the dotted line. And then you show up. And instead of you getting your timeshare for a vacation, instead you get enlisted into basic training. Just imagine that for a second. You paid your money. Now, nope, we're going to shave your head. There's going to be people yelling at you making you exercise, making you carry logs up mountains and and run 10 miles and freezing cold and all of this. And then guess what? We're shipping you off and we're sending you out and there's going to be people shooting guns at you who really want to hurt you. Just think about that and think about how ridiculous and angry you would be if you signed up for this and instead you're expected to do that. But man, I'm telling you, sometimes I feel like this is what we've pitched as the Christian life to be. Warm and comfortable and inviting and peace and joy and happiness and love. When in fact Jesus says, hey, you know what? Yeah, you're going to get that stuff. You will get that reward. You will be satisfied. But it's not always here in this life. It is a war. It is a battle. It is difficult. 
And when we've sold people this bill of goods, it's no wonder that they're mad. It's no wonder that many are disillusioned. It's no wonder that many walk away. It's no wonder many have such a frail faith where as soon as something bad comes in, they're like, you know what? Enough of this God stuff. I don't buy in. I'm cashing it all in. It's not true. I wonder if we've really considered the cost and really understood what it means to be like Jesus. So here in this third week, we want to dive a little bit more about, into what it means to be walking in his dust. You remember we talked two weeks ago and last week as well about what it means to be in the dust of the rabbi. To truly follow after him so closely that it's not just we know what he knows, but that we do what he does. So it's not just information, but it's imitation of our rabbi in every area. So today what we're going to dive into here briefly is we're going to talk about the threefold aspect of what we see in the life of Jesus, how he spent his passions, how he prioritized his time. Because there's a very clear threefold element that we want to dive into here. And if you've got your Bibles with you or can open up your Bible app, turn to Luke chapter 6. This is the main passage we're going to jump out from. Many more passages. I will have them for you up on the screen. Luke chapter 6. Let's figure out what Jesus did with his priorities and let's do everything we can to examine our own lives and see if we're in line with that and have the openness in our heart and in our mind to be willing to take steps to change and more align ourselves with who Jesus was. So I've got a little graphic up here that'll just kind of give away everything at once and then we'll break apart each one. Um, and I've also got some props here to help us uh, understand and remember this threefold rhythm in the life of our rabbi. The first one is up and we use this idea of a picture for that. Then we've got in, we use the idea of a mirror and then we've got out, how do you see the world? We use the idea of a window. So everybody who's listening at home, I want you to imagine those three things. They're here on the stage. I wish you could see them, but we'll see you next time. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Let's talk about this first one, this idea of up. Here's what it says. Sorry, Luke chapter 6, verse 12. It says this, Now in these days he, that is Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. When we talk about up and we talk about this idea of a picture, we're talking about our relationship up with a holy God. When you think about the idea of a picture or a portrait that you hang on the wall, it's something to be admired. It's something to look at intently. It's something to be studied. It's something that impacts you. And so we use this illustration to talk about Jesus, even though he was God, He still so often, seemingly a third of the time that you see him in scripture, he is stolen away by himself in the presence of his father. Now, if we were at a human level, right? And if Jesus was the pastor in our context, right? You see it over and over in the book of Mark. I don't know if you got a chance to read any of that this week, but you see it over and over in the book of Mark. It's like, oh, where's Jesus? There's people to heal. There's there's people that want to see him. Where is he? Nobody knows where he is. He was awfully irresponsible, wasn't he? He never told people where he was going. He just stole away and and he was just always off in silence by himself, seemingly. 
Well, obviously, we know much better than that. He was communing with his father. A couple quick, quick points that I want to make about that, because I don't know what you're up rhythm looks like. I don't know how much time you spend in silence with God, but here's a couple of examples of Jesus and characteristics that we can see and that we can therefore imitate. Number one, when you look at Jesus in these settings, he was alone. He was alone. There was time where he taught his disciples how to pray. He prayed in front of people. That's that's great. We should be doing that. But there was also way more time that he was by himself. And I'll tell you what, if there's one thing that's been lost in our culture among Christianity, I would venture to say for many, you've got no idea what to do with this. If you're alone by yourself, okay, God, here I am, I'm listening. The mind starts going crazy. Wait a minute, do I need to pick up the dry cleaning? Hold on. Susie's got practice and okay, stop. Okay, God, really, I want to talk to you. I want to share with you. And you find yourself so easily distracted, right? So sometimes we just go to the default, go to the other side, which is, okay, well, I want to learn more about God. I want to see more of this portrait of who he is. So I want to listen to other people talk about God. In our technology with podcasts and with YouTube and with everything else, we can get access to the most incredible preachers that ever existed in this world right now. And we can listen to all kinds of messages and here's their perspective and here's inspiration and here's whatever else. And that's all great But what would it be like if we turned off the podcast and if we stopped the message and instead said, okay, God, that's great. That's what you've led them to. And you certainly have used that in my life. But man, God, what are you leading me to? What are you saying to me personally? What can I do to pour over your word alone and quiet myself enough to download your truth and to upload all of my anxieties and fears and prayers and everything else? Jesus was also intense in his prayer. Look at the book of Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 should be on the screen. It says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications, catch this, with loud cries and with tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his great reverence. Man, when's the last time you had an experience with God like that? With cries and with groans and and, and pouring out your heart and your soul to his father. It says Jesus was heard because of that reverence. And Man, how often do we just kind of barely skim the surface of what's really going on in our heart and life? And for many of us, this guy included... Oftentimes prayer gets just kind of skimmed over. It's bedtime. It's late. We got to get you down. Let me pray for you, dear Lord. Thanks for the day. Thanks for who you are. And just pray that you give us a good night's sleep. Amen. Okay. Good night. Sayonara. But what would it look like if we really understood the access that we have, that we say that prayer is? That man, the king of the universe, the one who sees everything, the one who's created everything, the one that's all powerful, the one that's been through the generations is there listening and uh, can can you give me a minute or five or 10 or an hour? Yup, I can give you whatever you want. According to the book of Hebrews, Jesus paved the way, the veil torn in two. We've now got access to the most powerful being ever in existence. 
And yet it's so easy to just ignore this and find out everybody else's perspective. A lame equivalent might be if your friend goes to the museum and it's like, hey, you want to go with me? Nah, well, you can just tell me about the pictures. Seeing something secondhand is not the same as experiencing it for yourself. He modeled it with quoting scripture, Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone. It's not just physical nourishment, but by every word that comes from God. There is power in the up. There is energy that's given, sustenance that's given when we spend time with God. Check out this verse, John chapter 8, verse 35. Jesus says, so if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And man, we love that passage, don't we? When we're sharing the gospel, it's like, hey, you know what? You're in bondage, you're in darkness. And Jesus said, he's the truth and the truth will set you free to new life. And that's absolutely true. But look at the context of John chapter eight, verse 35. If you continue on in my word, if you study over this, if you pour over this, if you allow this into your heart and into your mind, then this will be your freedom. Seemed like the example of Jesus, he prayed right before every major event in his life. Before he chose the disciples. Before he started his public ministry, often he disappeared into deserted places, sometimes for days at a time. He had this rhythm of spending time with God, and if it was important for him, how much more so should it be important for us? One last verse in this realm, Mark chapter 3, verse 14. And Jesus appointed the twelve whom he named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. There was a presence that he wanted the disciples to experience. Have we lost that rhythm that Jesus had? Second one that we want to talk about is the whole idea of in. The whole idea of in. Again, we've used this mirror here because once we've experienced uh, the presence of God and who he is and studied intently and experienced that it's time to be introspective. It's time to look into your own reflection like just about all of you didn't hear this morning and really take a good hard look and ask yourself the question, okay, so how does this affect me? How does this affect my community? This whole idea of in, it's just me living and the people that are close to me, my family and my life group and and, and, and my community of other believers here. Jesus was an absolute um, master at the in. He was a master at gathering people around him, sharing deeply, opening up, inviting them into the deepest moments of his life. And I wonder how many for us, as you look at Jesus and the incredible time that he spent with his inner circle, I wonder how many of us practice that same rhythm as well. And to what depth do we practice that rhythm? I wonder sometimes when you hear about the idea of authentic community, what is the first place that comes to your mind? The first location. 
Where do people go where they know that there's good friends, where they know that they can be themselves? And I hate to say it, but unfortunately, sometimes I feel like people think more of bars and taverns than they would think of going to church for that. Because where are they going to be on a Friday night or Saturday night or any weeknight after work and they've had a stressful day, they just need to download and kick back and relax. What are they going to do? They're going to fill themselves up with an additive that's going to, that's going to relax them and it's going to change and then they can feel like they can really be themselves. It's a shameful thing, but all across this city and all the other cities and really all across the world, that's where you're going to see people feeling like they need that to truly connect and to really have community, right? You remember Cheers in the 80s. Sometimes you want to go where, where everybody knows your name and everybody knows your story. And if there's something great that's happened in your life, man, I want to celebrate. This round's on me. And that's where they go to celebrate. Something terrible, tragic, uh, awful happens in your life. There's anxiety, there's fear, there's sorrow. How many people could be lined up to say, you know what? Man, when, when, when those things come, I need something to help me out. I want to go someplace where I can share my sorrows with people. And there's authenticity. Unfortunately, that's what some may think. But man, what if, what if a church was a place like that? Not where alcohol would flow freely. I'm not trying to say that. But what I'm saying is, what if this was the place where people could share joy openly? What if this was a place and your life group was a place where people could walk in and be honest about the sorrow and the anxiety and what they're wrestling with? Jesus, Jesus modeled that for them. Here's, what, here's what's going on. Here's what, here's what the Father has showed me. There was a dependency there even for Jesus. You know, he, he looked up at the picture of God and connected and here's what God has said to me. I want to share that with you. This is my community, and I love you. Finally, the outpouring of it, the outposition of it is represented by a window. And for Jesus, he wanted to make sure that we had a clear perspective as to something that was outside of our own safety, right? All of you here came from uh, an apartment or a house or something like that, and you've got windows undoubtedly. You're staying warm and cozy and a little chilly this morning, but you're there, and what happens? You look outside, and we're asking the question here, okay, so what is this relationship of all these spending time with God, having a great, vulnerable, amazing community, what does this mean for the world? What happens outside these walls? What perspective or lens did Jesus view the world through? And here in John chapter 6, we're going to keep on reading here to, to see that. And verse 13 is where he called all of his disciples. That was his in. And skip down a little bit to verse 17. And it says this, And he that is Jesus came down with the disciples, and he stood at a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed with their diseases. So here in one tiny little picture, we see all three of these things exemplified. What does Jesus want us to know about his perspective and how to see the world? Seems like he was always going out to the villages. He was always interested in going to new towns, even when there was still work to do amongst the disciples. There was that out 
element of the crowd that was important. What was his perspective on them? Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. And when he, that is Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So if we've got that same lens that Jesus did when we're looking out at crowds, when you're seeing your classmates in school, when you're stuck in traffic, when you're at the grocery store and there's a big long line of people, Jesus didn't see all them as background noise. He didn't see all of them as an inconvenience so that he could get on his way. He saw them as people and individuals. And it says that he had this compassion on them. A third of his life was spent with the world. And he saw them as helpless, hurting sheep that were in danger and needed direction and needed a loving shepherd to come in and rescue. Do we have that same vision of the people that are living right next to us? of the crowd, of the world. I think for many of us, as we look at this perfect balance, we may get the perspective that perhaps for some of us, we are not balanced. There's imbalance. And imbalance causes problems. Causes problems in your vehicle. If it's out of alignment, it causes problems in your dryer. If you put your boots in there or something, vroom, vroom, vroom. And it causes a problem to a much greater extent in our Christian lives. We've got the same graphic. And let's just examine this for a second, both individually and even as a church. As we look at this three-way rhythm of Christ, let's take a look at what if, what if our imbalance is this? Believe it or not, there are some that are imbalanced with the whole idea of up. They're just all about their time with God and, and, and reading scripture and they will go to the ends of the earth to get the best resources and fill their mind up with all this stuff. That's all great, but when this is where you spend most of your time, you're going to run into problems. We got the idea up there of spiritual pride. That's what Jesus bucked up against all the time, right? With the Pharisees and the keepers of the law. They knew the whole entire Old Testament. They had it memorized. They had all kinds of information. But where they fell short was in the application of it all. Maybe there's some in here that have so much information that spiritual pride has crept in. And they've got no necessary desire for community and they've got no desire to reach or impact the world. We're just content to stay Right up here, just my time with God. That's what it's all about. Maybe for some, where your focus has been is all about the community, all about your life group, all about your Christian friends, all about your little world. And you can see where that would be a problem. Some of the issues that come up there is a consumer mentality because after all, if it's all, all about me, then it's all about me and it's all about me. And that's where you get into infighting and you get into gossiping and you get into negativity and you get into complaining because if your perspective is that all this exists for me and all I'm going to focus on is, is what's catering to me, you're going to be absolutely miserable. And the reason there's going to be so much infighting and, and, and being spoiled is because there's no mission. You're going to be bored. 
You see that in your homes? In the summertime, maybe, if there's no rhythm, if there's no school, if there's no drive for anything, they're just sitting around and it's just, pretty soon they're just at each other's throats. Can I get an amen to that? You're bored if there's no mission, if you're not even headed towards anything. And then you get this idea over here that for some, if you're all just focused over there and doing good works and, and, and you know, and changing the world and doing good things, that's, that's all wonderful, but... That's going to be something that creeps into work-based um, focus just on the externals. You're just going to be a shell. Yeah, it's great that you're serving, but at some levels, that's almost like, all right, yep, look at all the great things that I'm doing. I'm now feeling really good at myself because I volunteered. Jesus was at the center of this rhythm, and he exemplified all three of them with perfection. And I guess my challenge to you here this morning as we're thinking about following after this rabbi is to really open your heart and open your mind and really ask God, okay, Lord, I came here. You got me up. Thanks for getting me up. Thanks for the extra hour, but I'm here and I've heard these words now. So I'm responsible. So God, what do I need to do with this? Maybe for some of you, it's this whole idea of your relationship with God by yourself. Not with the podcast, not once a week for 35 minutes here, but by yourself. And when I talk about getting a picture of God and getting alone with God, man, you've got no idea what you're even looking at or how to even do that. You haven't taken that silence. There's people here and there's friends here that can step in and can help you in that to to give you that freedom that comes from, from the word. Maybe for some, it's this whole idea of the mirror. And uh, maybe for some, it's, it's a fear of getting in a close relationship with others, of letting people in to your deepest joy or to your deepest fears. And, and your life group perhaps has become, at least in your perspective, something where you're just barely skimming the surface. And your relationships are not filled with deep conversation. You're not inviting anybody in to, like Jesus did on the Mount of um, uh, Gethsemane, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Mount of Olives where he invited his friends, come sit, stay with me, pray with me, cry with me. I'm so anxious, I'm so afraid, I'm so concerned. And I don't want to do this alone, even as God. At the human level, he said, please, come be with me. And maybe for some, it's how you look at the world. It's the out. You don't view them as sheep without a shepherd. You don't have compassion on them. You've got annoyance with them. Those other parents, those noisy neighbors, those annoying people. And I wonder if we could have the mind of Christ as as Jesus exemplified for us. And as we look through that window and as we look at the world, I wonder if we could view everybody that we see as a future worshiper. Listen to me, if we could see everybody as a future worshiper. For many in here that love God, when we sing these songs and we sing about Jesus and we're worshiping him, that's great. We're going to all be doing that one day with, with Jesus in front of his throne and we're going to be worshiping him and we're going to be down on our knees. But guess what? For somebody even that doesn't know God, scripture says every knee will one day bow and every tongue will one day confess. They're going to be worshiping as well. 
but it's going to be too late. I just want to remind us here this morning that for every single person that's existing on this planet right now, they're going to hear one of two things from Jesus. It's appointed unto man once a di- to die, Scripture says, and after that is the judgment. So everybody's going to hear one of two things. It's either going to be welcome to the joy of your master, to everlasting, come on in, I've been waiting for you, enter into my joy. Or it's going to be, depart from me, I never knew you, into everlasting separation. One of those two things is going to be said, and that is the most important thing. So instead of getting caught up in what's going on in our little world, instead of getting caught up in just spending time with God and everything that we're learning, this element is unbelievably vital. That says, I want to try and bring as many of these people with me as I can. I want many to experience the worship of God right now in fullness rather than when it's too late. 